Hello and welcome to another episode of La Pausa Pod. It's myself and Jamie and we've got a special guest coming up to talk about Real Madrid versus Rayo Vallecano, a game that ended one all in Vallecas on Sunday afternoon. Myself and Jamie are going to kick off with Stats Corner where we bring you three stats from the past week or the week coming up or just things that caught our eye in general. So first of all, Jamie, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, uh, looking forward to talking about your trip in this uh, in this section here. So, yeah, P- pick whichever one you want to uh, get going. Yeah, yeah. I suppose we'll leave that one to last. I, I took a trip to Zaragoza and Pamplona to see a couple of games. It wasn't work related. It was just me and a couple of mates decided to do a road trip. So we'll talk about that now in a minute. But we'll start out with Sevilla versus Valencia on Saturday night. Sevilla had one shot against Valencia, the fewest by a team in a game in La Liga since Elche had won two versus Barcelona in September 2022. Just shows how well organised Barajas's Valencia are and how difficult it is for them to break down. And even in this game, while they, it's not just them shutting teams down, they're also able to hurt teams as well, which they couldn't in this game, but in general, it was it's more of a general point. But yeah, pretty 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 tame effort from Sevilla in the end. Zero point zero zero four expected goals in the end from them. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the the funny part is the only shot of the game came in the ninety second minute with a header from Alejo Veliz, which just shows that yeah, they really did put the brakes on Sevilla in this match. Um, but I didn't look back at it and think Sevilla were actually that bad. Uh, watching the game at the time, I, I wasn't actually quite aware of the fact that they'd not attempted a shot. It was just a, a game where Valencia showed again that at Mestalla, they're just so good at controlling teams and keeping the door shut. And the one constant in that is Cristian Mosquera because, as we know, Gabriel Paulista has, has gone to Atletico now. Seeing him go out the door, you were thinking this Mosquera-Paulista partnership that's been so good together is going to be a problem now. But Diakari came in and had a good game. But Mosquera is the guy who's, yeah, he could he could be worth a lot of money um, in quite a short period of time. So, again, Valencia's academy coming to the defence again. Yeah, he's just 19. And it's, it's, I know it's not really nice to talk about players from clubs that are just like as if they're just assets but that's the way that Valencia see these guys so <laughs> we kind of have to look at yeah, it like that too because so. once he reaches a, a value that they see is uh, good enough or maybe close enough to what they think might be his peak they're, they're going to sell him and then someone else is going to have to come in so yeah Christian Mosquero, Mosquera 19 year old uh, one to keep an eye on so the second stat um, is Almeria's draw with Granada was their 28th consecutive league La Liga game without a win, now the longest ever winless run in Spanish top flight history. Absolutely incredible scenes. Um, but they aren't as bad as that record would suggest either, though, I would say. No, no, I agree. Uh, it's I can't quite believe it's got to this point where they are the owners of the longest winless run in top flight history. Because first of all, it's 
it's an unbelievably expensive team to say that they are rock bottom of the league and not won a game and very likely going down. And when they do go down, their their phone will be ringing pretty much immediately looking for a number of these players. I've I mentioned Dion Lopi earlier in the season and he's already had a bid from Freiburg for 15 million and now the stock of Barcelona interested. You look around the team as well, there's Ramazani, Arribas, Robertone. All of, all of these guys are going to be coveted by La Liga teams as, as soon as Almeria drops. So it's, yeah, I just, I just can't fathom that their record is this bad. They're not, by no means a good team, but I think it's a combination of the Vicente Moreno era got off to um, a pretty erratic start. They pulled the trigger on that and then went for Gazka Garitano. And I'm not sure about you, but the moment they hired Garitano, with all due respect, I thought, what what have they done? Because Garitano, I'm not sure he's going to get another job in La Liga after this. And it, to me, it just didn't add up that they had this super expensive squad with lots of talented players. And then they went with such a kind of budget option for the managerial job. And actually, if you look back now at, the, the XG numbers under Vicente Moreno. I know they don't tell you everything, but they were pretty damn good to say um, the situation that Almeria find themselves in now. So, yeah, just just a season that's spiralled wildly out of control. But at the, at the same time, they have it's weird because they have been competitive in a lot of games. There was the Barcelona 3-2 game, which pretty much set off the... set Javi into a spiral that he kind of hasn't come out of. They drew nil all with Athletic Club, who are proven to be a handful for anyone. They probably should have beaten Girona at home when Alex Garcia was sent off. They 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 were the probably the better team on that day. They had a three two against Real Madrid that that could have gone their way too. Danny Carvajal scored, or sorry, they could have drawn it. Danny Carvajal scored a ninety ninth minute winner. So. Yeah, they also drew with yeah Granada, obviously, and then yeah, like these games have been really close, and it's just I think become it's become a self fulfilling prophecy now that they can't win, and they know it's in their heads, and they they're the team that spends the most amount of time losing, fifty uh, percent. I just this is I'm doing some stats on Javi's claim about big data, so I'm looking at a couple of these stats. So they spend fifty percent of their time losing. They've spent just ten percent of their time winning this season, and I think that's probably a big part of it too. And that they they just find themselves behind, and it's they're they're chasing and they're they're when you're down at the bottom, there things just don't go your way. So yeah, one to keep an eye on to see if they're going to win by the end of the season and. Their history books will say that they were historically awful, but when you look at the result, or sorry, when you watch the games and you see the players in the squad, you realize that they're actually not that bad. So that's Al Maria. I went to, as I said, Zaragoza Friday night. We watched Zaragoza versus Cartagena. A really good game, actually, in the end. Cartagena 1 2 1. I do not ask me how. Um and we drove we drove to Pamplona then Saturday to El Sar- Al Sarar to watch Osasuna versus Cadiz, and it was yeah Ante Budimir got two goals, unbelievable stadium, and it was um looking at Cadiz in that game, they're gonna join Almeria, presuming Almeria are also gonna go down. Cadiz just had nothing. 
they just had nothing. They brought on Maxi Gomez when they were a goal down, and it just looked like Juan Mi and Maxi Gomez running around as much as I like, liked Juan Mi when he was at Betis and how efficient he was. I mean, this isn't a La Liga team. This isn't a La Liga squad, really. No, they were horrendous. Um, I have to admit, I, I probably wouldn't have made the effort to catch this game this weekend had you not been there, but I wanted to be able to discuss it on the podcast. And yeah, it was You were looking for me in the crowd, Jamie. See me eating my bocadillo <laughs> at half time. Yeah, yeah, with with the Ivan Alejo dummy to camiseta um, poster. Yeah, you did get to see him in the second half. He actually, didn't start. Um, I was so that was nice. I did. I got to see him. He he wasn't at his worst though. He was he was on he was on pretty good behavior. He knew that I was there on that end because we were we were at the caddies <laughs> end, the way that they were attacking in the second half and. He came on on the other side of the of the of the field, but he was I was I was, I was paying close attention to him. And he he um he was on pretty pretty decent behaviour. Although there was a couple of kind of moments, flash points where he could have kicked off, but he didn't. He knew that I was there to uh, just in case it hadn't happened. Um, but yeah, I I would say the only player, with exception about the not being a La Liga team, not, not maybe not the only player, but one of the players is Robert Navarro, who who was on the left against Ruben Pena. And it was, he started getting tired, but but it's kind of funny. I hadn't been to a game for one reason or another. Like I hadn't been to a game live in in a, in quite a while. And um, I I used to be a season ticket holder at Rio Rio and haven't renewed. Um, but and just for one reason or another, I haven't been to any many live games. But it's actually incredible when you're there watching and you can see so much clearer who the who the players are that stand out and robert navarro it just it, it's kind of like you can't capture on a television the, the ease at which a player does something or how dangerous they look or the way that they move i'm, I'm not entirely sure what it is but it's but navarro is one straight away caught my eye and i was just like he, he he's the best player on this caddies team he's the only player who's going to create something and he gave ruben pena a really really rough time and it was uh, Jesus Areso who came on for Peña at the end as Navarro was getting tired. And he then went off himself. And I saw him saying, I saw him saying to um, uh, Mauricio Pellegrino that there was, so he was pointing at his hamstring or something like that. No, no, I got the impression that he just he, he, he just looked tired from creating or trying to create and just not the players not being around him, able to finish off thinking as quickly as he was and he, he went off the field anyway and it was Jesus Arejo who got two breaks one to Ruben Garcia and then he yeah did one two nil Ante Budimir finished them off but Navarro is, is one that I would definitely be keeping an eye on uh, and and where what he's going to do next season obviously he's on loan this season but it'll be interesting to see his next move yeah he was the guy as soon as you told me you were there I was I was going to ask how he was getting on because Watching them for the last month or so, it's been an absolute one-man band for Cadiz with him basically being the only player that generates anything in terms of chances or dribbles, changing the, the face of the game without you know lo- losing the ball with a cross or something. Um, but yeah, it's, he's just a, a really talented player that I'm not quite sure what is going to happen with him at the end of the season because he's... Uh, if people don't know, he's contracted to Real Sociedad. He's on loan there till the end of the season. And I think he's out of contract at the end of this season as well. At most, he might have one more, uh, if, if I've got that right. But I think it is the end of this season. 
And I, I look at him and think he could play for a, a top 10 team in La Liga, for sure. If, if Real Sociedad said tomorrow, we're not going to renew you, um, we just we don't think we're going to be able to give you the minutes. I'm sure teams as far up as Girona would be calling about him because mm-hmm. the talent is is definitely there. Um, and yeah, yeah, big, big fan. Big fan. It is 2024. It is this summer. So let's let's see what, what Real Sociedad are thinking with him. They've already got already got Kubo, Oyar Saba starting there, Baranachea. Zakarian. They're pretty stacked there. So so let's let's see what they do there. We'll keep we'll be keeping an eye on that one. But so so stats corner this week. Usually we've got like stats from huge clubs and that, but this week we've gone with Sevilla, Cadiz, um and Almeria. Do you know what? I didn't even read the stat from Robert Novato. <laughs> Go on, man. Okay, so the, the reason we did it, Robert, Robert Novato leads all Caddy's players for open play chances and successful take-ons in La Liga this season, despite his minutes total, not even, um, not even amounting to 10 full matches, 874 minutes. So that just goes to show you, that's not even a per 90 stat. That's He's just... a. a way above and beyond anything the caddies are any other caddies player right now and i think the caddies who have been in in the in la liga now for a few years and have never really lit it up to be honest with you never really got going never really felt comfortable or never really solidified themselves as a la liga team there was always they were always fighting relegation and it looks like this is the season where they're going to go down if we if we can if we assume almeria granada and Caddies, that's the way it's going to stay. Obviously, Celta Vigo there, a couple of other teams there. But I would say, based on what I saw on Saturday, that that Caddies just they don't have enough to to stay up. No, no, no. All they just they can't fashion anything in attack. Really, even that chance where they had where Chris Ramos went in one v one in the first half, which I think was at nil nil. He just doesn't sort his feet out very well. He's he's a guy who's if you can give him good service into the box off crosses, he's he's really good at leading the line. But again, yeah, they just there's nobody in the team besides Navarro where you think they actually have the quality to make an impact in a match at the moment. Like I said, Juanmi is a player we've always liked, but he's yeah he, he's he's come back from playing in uh, Saudi Arabia, was it? And he just. Yeah, it's clear that he's not going to be a day one player who's going to come in and, and save you. So, Caddies look very much like the second worst team after Almeria. Yeah, so that'll do it for Stats Corner. Now let's jump over to our special guest to talk to talk some Rayo Vallecano and Real Madrid. Okay, so we are joined by a presumably very jet-lagged Kian Silvani in Canada. He was just here in Madrid and then he went to Leipzig to watch Real Madrid in the Champions League and flew home last night, woke up this morning in Canada. Kian, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I, it's currently just after 10 a.m. here, which means it's just after 4 p.m. in Spain. That's a reasonable time. I, that's a good window. Like, I'm awake in Spain, I'm awake in Canada at this time. So this, is, this works. I'm excited to be talking about uh, football with you guys. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, we it's when I asked Kian to come on and I said we were gonna record at ten AM Madrid time, I thought he was still in Madrid and Kian was like, oh, I think that's gonna be tough, man. I'm I'm gonna um, <laughs> that's five AM my time. I don't know if I can get up that early for you. As important as La Pausa pod is to, to us, uh, Kian wasn't willing to get up at five AM, but I understand. Anyway, let's jump into some um observations from 
that Rayo Vallecano and Real Madrid game and just chat about Real Madrid in general. They've been cruising to La Liga. I think it would be difficult to argue that they're not favourites alongside Man City right now for the Champions League. We haven't seen Atletico, Inter, a couple of different, Barcelona, uh, Napoli. We haven't seen a couple of teams there playing this week on Tuesday and Wednesday, but Real Madrid pretty convincing in, in everything they've done this season so far. So just on the Rio game, it was one all. XG was 1.16 to 1.12. A weird game in many ways for Real Madrid. They rested some of their starters and... They just couldn't get into any kind of a rhythm. Rayo have a new manager in Diego Perez, who was in Andoni Areola's assistant manager, and he's now in the dugout at Vallecas. And he said he was really proud of his players. The the atmosphere was incredible. And I just got the sense from his what he was saying. He was just trying to kind of give this team a boost, this club a boost, the fans a boost. And they got that with a one-all draw against Real Madrid, regardless of how well-deserved it was or not. That's a pretty good result. So, yeah, um, let's talk about the absence of Tony Cruz to start out with and what, and Jude Bellingham, of course, and what that takes away from Real Madrid. Kian, did you notice a massive drop-off without Cruz in the team and how they approach their build-up, creation, and progression? For sure. I mean, I think it's it's really interesting and kind of worrying in some sense that you see how the team is without Tony Cruz. And normally you're talking about a player close to his retirement. And of course, he's going to retire on top. So he's not like, he's not lingering past his peak. Obviously, I would argue he's playing the best football of his career right now. But it's funny when you think about players who are that at that stage of their careers and you think about how many good young midfielders Real Madrid has, it shouldn't be a huge drop-off if you want to rest Cruz one game. But then you see how the team functions without him. And I think it's like worrying a little bit about what does a post-Tony Cruz world look like in terms of the just the ability to be calm in the build-up phase and progress the, progress the ball. And he is the best at that, you know, possibly ever, but at least one of the greats of all time in doing that. And uh, you, you miss his composure. Obviously, it's fair to point out, too, that Bellingham was not playing. And Ancelotti had a heavily rotated team. Some, some of that is because he could rotate. Some of that is because he had no choice. I mean, Real Madrid's backline of four, they were all, it, it, the entire backline was a second-string backline, if you think about it. Vasquez, too many, who's not a center back. Nacho, who normally wouldn't start if everyone's healthy. And Fran Garcia, who... I was a little bit disappointed with. I thought like, you know, going back to Vallecas would have been like a huge thing for him. And he was usually in those games, you expect the ex-player to to show up big. But, you know, he, was, he wasn't at his best. I think that the Tony Cruz thing needs to be addressed at some point because like there's not really any midfield profile in the squad like him. There's no one that really does what he does. It's just going to be different without him. And, and quite frankly, like, guys, I don't know how you would replace him anyway. Like, if you were to map out the guy you sign who replaces Tony Cruz, it doesn't really exist. So you're kind of forced to play differently without him, I think. Um, but certainly, like, it was, it was, I think, a combination of his absence, the absence of several players, not just him, and also just the fact that Real Madrid has a bunch of games like this every year where... They just don't look great. I mean, even Leipzig, they didn't look good, but they got the job done. And luckily, the 
to drop two points in Vallecas wasn't as big a deal because they have a bit of a cushion in La Liga now where, you know, you can get away with a point. Yeah, I um, I have tweeted about him quite a lot on the account recently. I was kind of making up arbitrary stats just to kind of show how ridiculous mm-hmm. he was with all the pass completion rates and things like that. But yeah, we just, I don't know if everybody else felt the same way, but it feels like we're, we're kind of numb to how good he is at this point. And I agree with Keon in that I I don't think he's played better football than he is right now. Um, he just seems to be at the absolute peak of his powers. And even in the Girona game and the big games they've played recently, it's kind of just like you can't even bring yourself to press him because you know by the time you get there, the pass is going to be mm-hmm. pinpoint on the other side of the pitch. So... Yeah, Cruz is is one of those guys that there's there's only one of him. Even if Real Madrid committed themselves this summer to to finding the next Tony Cruz, he would not exist. So again, if it wasn't for having played in the Champions League um, earlier that week, I'm sure Tony Cruz would have played in a game like this because I, I think he is probably the guy you would need in in a game at Vallecas, just with the conditions, a guy who can get a grip of the game and start moving the ball. So. Again, understandable that, that they rested him, but yeah, it's it's pretty obvious when Cross is not playing. Jamie, Jamie, you like you look at numbers a lot. Like, do you see anyone in Europe who like fits or even come, like what's the profile like you would look at? Is it does it exist if you were to sign someone? <laughs> well, the thing that Cross does that that absolutely nobody else does is just maintain super high pass completion rates while passing to all corners of the pitch, mm-hmm. you know, multiple times a game, you know, 10 times a game. There's nobody else that does it uh, like him. Alish Garcia did had a had a good try at it for about uh, five months this season, but yeah, there's, there's nobody get, that gets close. And he's just the perfect guy for when you've got so much attacking talent at Real Madrid. He, he's the guy who gets the ball to them on time, uh, in the right areas, uh, precisely where they need it to do their job. So once Cross goes, I think there's going to be a lot of attackers in Real Madrid's team who are looking around thinking, man, I used to get unbelievable service and it, it's not quite as good as, as it once was. Yeah. I think play, playing at Vallecas is, is always a challenge and it's a little pinball-y, as, as Jamie says. It's a tight, confined space. So it's the venue that has the, had the third fewest build-up attacks in La Liga this season, mm. 20, 20, which is 27. So neither side are usually looking or able to generate attacks in, in a patient, controlled manner, which probably speaks to Rio's, the, the, the chaotic nature of how Rio play and also their unwillingness to, to build up. And we had that there. But I think that on the cruise point too, you're you're just gonna you're not gonna have as many build ups without without Cruz in the team, but I think it also says a lot in that we're we're all three of us are in agreement that he's underrated and that he's playing the best football of his of his career, but at the same time, Kian says it, it shouldn't be this difficult to replace him, but at the same time, I think that speaks about how much how we underestimate him because we, we assume someone can just step in and do this but then you see the drop off and automatically it becomes clear that in in Cruz's absence it's only then when you see just how good he is it's like nobody would expect Barcelona to play as well as Messi or without Messi 
and I'm not saying that Tony Cruz is Lionel Messi, obviously, but he's the Lionel Messi of that position, and all the stats would back that up. So it's it it is worrying for Real Madrid, and Danny Ceballos might be the closest thing, but he he has to be playing regularly. That's the thing about this rhythm, and and there, there was neither team could get into a rhythm in this game. It felt like, and so it was. And then without Bellingham, you've kind of got no ball over the top. So you spoke about Fran Garcia there, Kian, who you were disappointed with, as was I. And maybe you said you were hoping that going back to Vallecas might spur something in him. But maybe it was going back to Vallecas that prevented him from playing well. He, he didn't really know which goals to be shooting into because he he was very much a one of Rio's best players for a couple of seasons. And he was, he was excellent, loved by the fans, and he seemed to enjoy himself there too. But... It was his presence. He, he likes to overlap, and Vinicius, which means Vinicius has to come inside, and he's not as comfortable there. And you might get away with that with Bellingham because you've got no number nine, and Vinicius can kind of occupy that space. But he was just cramping Jose Luis style because if he wanted to drop out, Vinicius was kind of just standing there. Frank Garcia had to be on the overlap, and whereas when you have Ferlan Mendy, he, he's no problem under underlapping and he's slightly more nuanced to his game than Frank Garcia, who's just a complete burner. So it, it, what, what was it exactly that disappointed you from Frank Garcia's um, performance, Kian? I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think he struggled defensively too. Like that, like that side where Nacho was, like that half space where they both were, was pretty vulnerable defensively. I also just think... <sighs> It's a weird one because I don't necessarily pinpoint blame on him because when you look at Real Madrid's problems in Vallecas, I was kind of just surprised of the fact that we didn't get many attacks. Like we didn't like, usually Real Madrid are very asymmetrical in the left side, Vinicius just gets the ball on every possession. There was very low usage of Vinicius in this game. Like, that was very rare to see. Like, we almost went to the right side more, but we didn't really attack much in general. And I think the way the game started, like those first 20 minutes or so, I was expecting it to be way different than it actually turned out because Rio's press was so aggressive to start the game. And that's great for Real Madrid. More space, and they scored... They scored... Their goal from such a situation, ironically, nearly conceded because they coughed the ball up and then they go the other way. Rio have no defenders in transition. And then like a couple minutes later, Real Madrid burned their press again. And I think after that, Rio was like, okay, maybe this is not a great idea. They 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 started to be more compact. They started to cut off passing lanes. Brahim didn't get on the ball at all. And when he doesn't, um, you know, in a game where Bellingham's not in the field, you're going to have trouble breaking lines. And Vinicius not getting the ball. And so I think it was like, not. I don't want to like, I guess, pinpoint Fran Garcia too much. Like, it was just kind of weird that we couldn't get the ball up the field. And you mentioned it too, like this this pitch, Campo de Vallecas, it's not an easy place to play for visiting teams. I think that should be noted as like, you go into, I, I was at Vallecas last year, for example, and Rayo just wiped the floor with Real Madrid. It was crazy. It was like, you couldn't tell that, Rio were the underdogs. It was it's 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 genuinely a tough place to play. The pitch is smaller. The fans get really into it. They they're very physical. They're very aggressive. So that has to be factored into. But I think it was kind of weird that we didn't get anything from the left side, Vinicius or Fran Garcia. 
we'll we'll jump into the questions then for Kian and one of the areas so I was just looking at where Real Madrid attacked and they attacked 40% down the left uh, 22% in the middle and 37.6 on the right one of the reasons why I feel like they they they, did, they couldn't progress the ball and 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 create anything is because without Bellingham there, Valverde was kind of looking forward to Josalu and he was waiting for him to drop or waiting for him to make a move, which is what Bellingham does. And he's usually occupying defenders there. And then Valverde can drift out and pick up the ball. A, you didn't have Cruz to find him between the lines. B, Bellingham wasn't there to occupy bodies. Josalu was more stagnant than, than Bellingham generally is. And, Valverde couldn't play his his game because he was having to drop slightly deeper then to pick up the ball. But he's just been incredible this season. He, I would argue that after Jude Bellingham, he's the most important player in Real Madrid's team. Probably the most valuable. You could sell him for, like a team in the Premier League would cough up 150 million for him given his age. But Kian, you've been following Fede Valverde since back in 2017-18 when he was on loan at Deportivo La Coruña. And I remember mm. you mentioning then how excited you were about him. It's taken a couple of years, but he has just gone from strength to strength. And it feels almost, which is usually the case with world-class players, it just feels inevitable that he was always going to be this good. But I, I think on the Tony Cruz point being underrated, Fede Valverde too, people outside that don't really watch Spanish football wouldn't pick him out as one of Real Madrid's top players. But I'd argue that he's he's... Just after Jude Bellingham, he is the most important player. Did you real? Did you know back then, or did you have a feeling that that he was going to be this good? Wow, I mean, it's so interesting to think back about his Depor loan stint because you remember that weird era where Seydorf was for a brief period managing Depor, and he actually put Fede Valverde on the left wing, and it was super weird, like. It was like, this is, doesn't seem like his game. That's not where he was playing with in, in Castilla. That's not his position. Uh, but it's amazing. And at the time, if I'm being really honest, and I was wrong about this, I, like, I was more excited about Marcos Llorente as a prospect. And obviously, Marcos Llorente went on to and is still a very, very good player. He kind of cooled off from that crazy scoring and assists um, streak that he had a couple years ago at Atletico, but he's obviously a very good player. But, I mean, Fede, I think, it was in part because Llorente was doing so well at his stint at Alaves, and Fede Valverde was either struggling to break in at Depor or play, being playing out of position. And I think that kind of made me be more excited about Llorente a little bit. But it's amazing because you fast forward year by year, like you said, he just got better and better. And I think when Zidane was here, there was you know, a time where he was actually starting the transition, where he started to bench Modric in Clásicos and start Fede Valverde instead. And you just keep going year to year and seeing his progression, his versatility. I agree with you. I think after Jude, he's been our second best player. There are definitely arguments to be made. Like there's probably like a, a table that have that has like Bellingham, Fede, Rudiger, Cruz, um, Vinicius is starting to pick it up. Like there's other players who are obviously very important, integral to to Real Madrid, but Fede is arguably number two. I don't. I, he's to me like the 
one of the first guys in the, the team sheet. He's a lock to start every game. You're just bring so much to the table. You remember that whole par- part of the season where Kamavinga and Chumeni were injured? He was like single-handedly keeping the defense afloat in midfield. He Ancelotti went to that double pivot. Fede started to play alongside Tony Cruz and double pivot. And he was just doing so much defensive work in that time. And like you said, a lot of this stuff is just unnoticed. Like, you know, it doesn't show up on the stat sheet. It's hard to measure. But his ability, like, and his, the amount of lungs he has in his chest that just covers so much ground is is invaluable to, to what Real Madrid do. Yeah, and um, we've spoken about that before. And part of Valverde's presence is... The reason for Danny Carvajal's season being so good is partly because Valverde is there to cover that ground and he's capable of doing it. He's able to press with the best of them. He he gets up and down the field. He can he, he can basically do everything. And we, we've said that numerous times in this podcast. So, um, yeah, we'd, we'd be in agreement on that one. Yeah. Um, the next question is actually, you can probably link this to Valverde as well in that, to me, one of the most subtle things Real Madrid have done this season, but has had a big impact, is allowing the right back to play super high up the pitch, start in a, a, a high position, and Valverde just drops back kind of ten meters and covers that position. It's an it, it's such a, a massive tool for stopping opposition transitions, even against the likes of Girona. Um, the fullback could play so high, and Valverde could just sit in that position. And keep tabs on a guy like Savio. He's he's probably the only midfielder that can kind of hang with wingers um, in that position when he has to run back. So just that small tweak, I think, has been a massive part of, of balancing Real Madrid uh, in a major way this season. Um, but I, I just wanted to ask you, because you obviously have a, a lot more of a historical bank to draw from than, than us do when it comes to Real Madrid. So... Watching them this season, the balance of the team has just been the most impressive part for me. They've not swayed between being an unbelievable attacking team or, or an unbelievable defensive team. They've just got the balance uh, so right. And it's the fewest goals they've conceded at this stage of our Liga season uh, since 1972-73. So I just wanted to ask, is is this one of the most balanced rubbered teams you can ever um, remember watching? Yes, yes, no question. Keep in mind, like, <laughs> I mean, I started watching the team in 1998. And, I mean, just thinking back, like, we're just so spoiled right now. We're sp- I, Ever since we got, like, Modric and Cruz, I think that we started to just be a little bit spoiled with a plethora of midfielders. Because before that, there was it was really hard to find... A, a solid rounded spine in midfield this century. You think about like starting all the way back when McLeod left a double pivot of Beckham and, and Guti. <laughs> and and you, you fast forward to the Gravison days, Pablo Garcia, double pivot of Mahamudu Diara and Emerson, which was solid defensively, but offered little in the creative element. And you just keep going and, and then Chabi Alonso comes and that's great, obviously. And then from there, you know, now we're just spoiled. Now there's like 800 great midfielders we have, and all of them can do a little bit of everything. They can defend, they can attack. They're all two-way players. I think from a balance standpoint, yeah, there's no question. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Ivan Helguera, there was that like the Zone La Liga event yesterday, and reporters were asking about um, asking Helguera about like, 
you know, with Mbappe coming, is this the same as the Galacticos where they failed? And I was like, he, and he was like, this has nothing to do with that because look at the this Real Madrid team has so much more. Like we didn't have those midfielders who can provide the balance that exists now. And so there's no question, like from a balance standpoint, it just it works. They built the squad a really in a really intelligent way. And obviously with a little bit of luck that everyone's kind of panned out as well as they have, but they did their scouting reports. They knew all these guys can do the dirty work in midfield, plus get the ball up up front. From a balance standpoint, I don't know if I, I'm probably irresponsible to sit here and be like, this is the most balanced Real Madrid team of all time. I probably, I, I don't know if that's the actual answer, but it's certainly since I've been watching, I think it is. Even like Casemiro Cruz Modric era, um, and and from a tactical perspective, it was a lot of chaos, you know? It was a lot of like Varane sprinting back, the last person in transition, trying to stop a counter while Casemiro's playing striker in the box. We're not sure why he's there, but he was there. Like I just feel like it's more balanced now. Like so I, I would probably agree with that. Yeah. I think I think what we saw on Sunday against Rio was when you take Bellingham out, when you take Cruz out what you get, what's left is the balance. And the problem with balance is that Real Madrid never looked like they were going to lose the game. But at the same time, the the, the difference-making players, Jude and, and, and Cruz, weren't there. So you're all you're left with is just kind of this, this the, the balance. Uh, you know, you don't have the players to go and win it for you. But one you said there about the left-hand side being, being pretty much a lock to create, to to cause defense problems the right hand side has been a little bit funny in that obviously they don't Real Madrid haven't been really playing with a nine Jude Bellingham has been doing that on the right hand side Brahim obviously played against Leipzig and was the man of the match brilliant he started again against Real Madrid and Rodrigo who I did anyway some of us assume maybe that he was the starter on that right hand side a different player to Vinicius obviously and Brahim again, slightly different again to certainly Vinicius and different to Rodrigo too. At what point do you think Brahim has to start ahead of Rodrigo? And where do you think Rodrigo is? Where do you think Rodrigo's place is in this future Real Madrid with Mbappe, who's presumably signing this summer? It's a really interesting question. I mean, just to maybe start with the Brahim point. I I think based on merit, you could argue that Brahim should be ahead of Rodrigo. But I don't know. The thing is, like, Rodrigo's ceiling to me is higher. The problem is I feel like he is a bit of a streaky player. He'll go five five games just playing out of his mind. A goal in each game, assists in each game. He'll average like three to four key passes. He's dribbling past everyone. No one can take the ball off him. And then there are other games where you just don't notice him as much. I feel like you don't notice him as much, particularly when Vinicius and Bellingham are on the field because his usage is much lower than those two, even Brahim. Brahim gets on the ball way more than Rodrigo does generally in the flow of the game. If you look at like the touches of the front three, Rodrigo is generally number three. But that's that's okay because he's the guy who will create space, he'll make third-man runs, and he'll pop up in a, in a goal-scoring position while the other two create. So it's okay. 
And obviously, you see his usage go way up. Like in that time when Vinicius was injured and Rodrigo was hugging the left touch line, everything went through him. So Vinicius being on the field impacts how much he gets the ball to. Um, but I think for him, to and to be fair, like when he doesn't show up statistically offensively, he does work really hard defensively and, and does cover a lot of ground and press as well. But the right wing is weird because there's no pure right winger in the squad. Like everyone who plays on the right side is someone who can play there, but likes to drift centrally or or overload the left side. And that's like when you talk about Mbappe, like this is not going to be a symmetrical team. And and it doesn't need to be. Like I don't think symmetry is the is this be all end all like thing you have to do. Real Madrid can just overload the left side like they've basically been doing the entire decade before this. Um, and I think Rodrigo, because he likes to go roam a lot more and doesn't like to hug the right touchline, um, you know, our right side has been a little bit weird. It's not really a pure right winger on that side, and that's okay. But I think based on merit, you could definitely argue Brahim should be ahead of Rodrigo right now, although that, that can obviously change based on who's in form week to week. So it's not a definitive answer either. I don't know, man, when, if, when, I think when, now we say when, not if, Mbappe comes, there's a lot of players that need to play. And I don't know, like, I I still get pushback on this. I think it's Rodrigo is the guy who gets to the bench. And people argue and say, no, it can't be. What are you talking about? Well, like, well, you have to tell me who else it is. Because if it's someone else in midfield, if you push Jude back to midfield, well, who's the midfielder that you're going to bench? Because it affects the midfield now. So if you're going to say, well, Vinny, Rodrigo, uh, Mbappe up top, Jude plays an eight. Now you have to tell me who's benched in midfield because Fede Valverde can't get benched. Cruz, if he doesn't retire, can't get benched. Well, now you have Chiumeni and Kamavinga also there. Like who's going to... So I don't know. I, I I think logically it would be Rodrigo, although maybe it can... D- depending on who you're playing, it could, it could be... It could vary. Uh, but it's going to be a challenge. Like we're talking about even players who are like Arda Guler, Endrick, like these guys need to play. I don't know. I don't know what happens. Just to touch on Arda Guler for the moment uh, there, obviously not a, hu- a huge, huge topic at the moment, but I don't remember ever seeing the social media coverage for, for a young player uh, quite to the extent that I saw um, with, with Arda Guler, where Tur- Turkish, Turkish football Twitter is crazy. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It was nuts. I mean, the guy would literally walk out to training, and and the 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 views on the video would be like, you know, t- ten million people commenting like, I cannot wait for this guy to play. And then last week, I saw that there were reports that the weighing up whether letting him go out on loan might be a good move, and people were commenting mm-hmm. like, oh, he's he's failed already, and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, this poor guy has has done absolutely nothing but try to be in a position to play to get himself fit and meanwhile people are just ripping his like trajectory to shreds and it's like yeah I don't know if this is just a social mediafication of, of football but I, I, I just feel bad for the guy at the moment and he, he only got what 10 minutes on the pitch against Rio yeah in a game where you could actually use his player profile <laughs> you know someone who can get in between the lines and and create I I think he's been obviously very unlucky, right? And timing really matters in football. It, it's and it's luck sometimes. It's luck, bad luck or, or good luck. 
when he got injured and he got injured and injured and injured again and again and again, he came back at a time where, you know, Fede Valverde is playing amazing and the the attack is settled out with 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 Brahim playing amazing, with Jude playing amazing, Vinny and Rodrigo are there. So like it's gonna be it was always gonna be hard for him to work his way into the team. And maybe that would have been different. It was if he was healthy from the start. If he was healthy in preseason and after that, maybe he would have been the guy getting the nod over Brahim and proving himself and establishing himself. It was just a kind of bad luck. Um, and now he's in the situation. Now he's like he's got so many established players ahead of him. It's going to be tough. So mm. the loan doesn't sound too crazy to me. Um, to be to be honest, I just I but I don't know. Especially given the fact that he's just eighteen as well. I mean, it's not like he's twenty two and you're loaning him out, and it's like okay, we need to make a decision here. And um, he's eighteen, getting used to Spanish football, European football. So yeah, um. I was having a, just just on the point about Mbappe before we we finish off. The it's funny because a couple of years ago when Ronaldo was leaving and all that, and Mbappe was originally linked. The there was a Madrid needed him, and I and I think he was able to say he knew that he was needed. Whereas now he needs Madrid. I feel like more than Madrid need him, and I think that. He, he, they're negotiating. He's negotiating with. I mean, basically, he said he's leaving. So there, there's only a couple of teams that are going to be able to buy him. So he's negotiating against himself, basically. With Real Madrid are saying, we don't. You're the one that's gotten yourself into this situation. You said you're leaving. We haven't made an agreement yet. And 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 I just wonder how that's going to go in terms of. Mbappe arriving as the big Galactico signing, as the the king of Madrid, whereas now they're looking at it going, well, I mean, we've got Vinicius, we've got Bellingham, and there was a time when Mbappe would have walked into that team and been the, the standout, the superstar, without even as much as a doubt, whereas now he's walking in, and I don't think he's a bigger star right now than Jude Bellingham. Um, Vinicius, probably bigger than him, but Mbappe, I wonder how that's going to sit with Mbappe. Is he going to walk into a, his, a starting role? Not just a starting role, but obviously he's going to start. But where, where does he start? It's not going to be him deciding, I'm on the left, I want to be a nine. It's going to be, well, I mean, you got to kind of wait your turn here. You know, we've got Vinicius. He he hasn't done anything wrong. So it's gonna, it is going to be really interesting. And I think that, yeah, there, there's basically one, two, maybe three clubs that would even be able to pay his wages and I would say that he Real Madrid are just looking at this going we, we, we've done it we've managed this perfectly so uh, yeah it'll be interesting but yeah Jamie had one more question before we wrap it up um, yeah we did actually touch on it uh, a bit accidentally before but I just wanted to ask uh, Yuki Am as, as the guy who analyzes Real Madrid to the the finest detail uh, among us three if you had to pick a podium for Real Madrid's three best players this season, uh, as of today, what would be number one, two, and three? That's so tough. I wish you gave me a five-person podium, but um, Jude and Fede, one and two. <sighs> I'm going to say Cruz. Well, I, I wanted to ask that because I, I wasn't sure if I was 
the only one thinking Valverde has been better than everybody besides Bellingham. But yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear it from you. And yeah, number three was was probably the hardest spot because you can pick Carvajal, Rudiger, yeah, Kroos, like you say. Um, yeah, it, it's just so so tough. I mean, if you try to do this exercise for Barcelona, it's it's really hard. But in the opposite way, where you you're thinking, I can't think of three good players. <laughs> yeah, well, Xavi Xavi could give you eleven. <laughs> thinks they're all great. Well, if you just gave Xavi like the expected points table, he could be like, "Oh, we're the best team." Yeah, and and, and there's even some, myself maybe included. You could probably talk me into Valverde number one there. Now, it depends on what you're looking for. Bellingham, like, obviously amazing. Like I I said at the start when when he was when he first started kicking off, I was like, I think Jude Bellingham might be the best player in the world right now, and. I remember writing it going, this is just like, I, I knew I was exaggerating, but I kind of wasn't. I was like, he's he's just d- defining every single game he plays. And then all of a sudden it did start to get steam and it, it became apparent that he is definitely in the talk for one of the best players in the world. Having said that, he has cooled off a little bit. Still incredible in, in, in just the, the range of what he does. You were saying they're putting him as a number eight, which you'd have no problem doing, but then you're taking away some of his attacking threat, which he, which is just incredible too. So I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a slight on, on Jude Bellingham, but in recent weeks, Valverde probably has been more important. And in terms of just adding that balance, I think Valverde does, he's just the ideal player. And that's why I was saying about maybe Real Madrid getting probably 150 million for him if they were thinking about selling him. Although I think that this would be a, Claude McAlealy situation where you sell Valverde and the 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 you've got a Rolls Royce but the engine doesn't seem to kind of tick as well as you wanted to, um. But yeah, I think I think Valverde one and two, or sorry, Jude Bellingham, Valverde two, and then and then Cruz, yeah, like. But as we said, it's worrying then as to there's nobody in this squad with that kind of profile and they're going to have to, despite the embarrassment of riches they have at midfield, they don't quite have that player. Ceballos probably comes closest, but no, no he's not. He's still not there. Maybe. Um, no, 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 not, not as a, not, I mean, as a high volume. Yes. But, but just in terms of receiving under pressure and, and being able to find passes, but not that, like you said, Jamie, the the really high pass completion percentage. I don't think that's there. So, yeah, very interesting. Keen, it's been a pleasure having you on, and we'll have you back on when Real Madrid inevitably run the gauntlet and win the Champions League, La Liga, and they can't win the Copa del Rey. But uh, you said it, not me. I, I, it's going to be tough. You said it earlier in the podcast too. Like you know, he got the Manchester City beast that needs to be slayed. Um, to win this this trophy, it's not going to be easy. But well, it's Real Madrid, so they're always in the conversation. Even if they're like tenth in La Liga, they're going to have a shot to win this trophy because it's in their DNA. So um, count me in if that happens. I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back. Thanks for having me, Agudadi. This was a long overdue Absolutely. chat. It's uh, it's great to to chat with uh, you guys. You guys know the numbers better than anyone. You guys do like deep dives. It's it's it's. We need more more podcasts like this. It was fun. Thank you for having me. Nice one, yeah. Thanks a million, Keen. Uh, myself and Jamie will be back next week with more numbers and more statistics. And we might even talk a little bit about Javi's claims about big data, Barcelona, and expected points. But make sure to tune in and follow us on all the social media 
networks that we're on so yeah from myself jamie and kian here at la posa pod hq it is adios